Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Uh, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com. Uh, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Um, leave a review on Podchaser. Cool thing about that, you can leave a review for the show or for separate episodes. Um, you can also do it at Apple uh, Podcasts and, and Stitcher. And I appreciate every review that I've gotten. I've gotten a lot. I just don't know where they would fit into this show for me to stop and pat myself on the back you know so i don't read them here i read them later uh when nobody's around with a nice glass of uh merlot and george michael's uh careless whisper playing in the background i just feel like that's the mood anyhow i just want to remind y'all again in regards to the death and life of Bobby Z, if I haven't already said it yet, but if I have, then I'm reminding you. If I haven't said it, then I'm saying it now. Death and Life of Bobby Z is written by a white guy named Don Winslow. Don Winslow overall seems like a really great uh, writer. And like I said, it is one of those books that sings to California. It is a California book through and through, if y'all haven't picked that up yet. Um, but the other thing about the book is it's got racism like lots of racism this book came out in 1997 and so it came out way too late in the game for it to have the racism that it has in it but there is a lot of racial slurs and they're all about hispanic people and one thing that i am not going to do is be out here calling mexicans racial slurs for an entire book um I can call black folks, I can read what they say in in the cartel, because I say nigga all damn day long. And they don't say nigga in a derogatory way in in the cartel. They say nigga the way I say nigga. They're saying slurs in this book the way that nobody says them, except for Trump supporters. I didn't pick up on that when I first read this book. When I first got this book, it was in the 98 cent store. Um, I was walking through with my daughter, Gogo. Uh, she was in a stroller, which means that it was somewhere near 2002, 2003. And I was walking through looking for IBC root beer because they used to sell it in a 98 cent store. Don't go looking for it now. It doesn't exist. Um, the soda in the 98 cent store, not the 98 cent store. It's still, it's called Dollar Tree. Um, it's a place unlike Dollar General. Um, 
and I saw this book and it was bright and it was blue and it, it, it was 98 cent. And so I looked at it and I looked at the back of it and I was like, okay. And I looked at the inside cover cause it's a hard cover or a hard cover book. And I was like, this, this speaks to me. And I went home and read it and it snaps so quickly that you don't think about the racism and so when I was that age, which was like 22, I didn't really stop to think about the fact that this book was hella racist in a lot of sly, subversive, not sly ways. But now that I'm older and I'm reading this book slowly because I'm old, I see it in living color and it doesn't work for me. So here's what's happening is that y'all have y'all are probably sitting there at home like I haven't heard anything yet. And you're you're, you're goddamn right. Because I won't say them. I can't. I don't know why, but it's in me. I can't say this anymore. I don't know. I can't. I won't. So there's two slurs. Three, two, three, three. I think I said illegals once. I don't know if illegals is a slur. Um, I think that they should use a full phrase illegal alien. But, you know, I had to generalize that from, I don't know. So I did say that. But um, the slurs that are used in this book are wetback and beaner. And I don't like them. So I just say Mexican. Just so you know. Chapter 11. When he gets back to his room, she's waiting there for him. Sitting on the bed, holding a glass of red wine, she's wearing a black silk nightgown with a jacket. Her auburn hair is down now, shoulder length, and she looks like one of those Victoria's Secret women. Three packs of cigs in the joint for a catalog. Only better and a lot more real. It's not all he has on his mind, though. The boy is mine, he asks. Like, Bobby Z has a fucking kid? Like, why didn't Escobar have that in the book along with favorite sports and beer of preference? His name is Kit, she said. Olivia thought you'd like that. He decides to take a chance. She never told me, he says. Well, you'd have to be around for that, she scolds. Look, I don't blame you. If I were in the women, I want to do her too. She's beautiful. And fucked up, he says. And fucked up. Does everyone know? He asks. Olivia and me, she answers. Now you. Which is like good news, right? Tim thinks. How come you told me? I thought you should know. He's thinking about this. Hell, his head is fucking spinning when she says, I've been waiting a long time. Brian had a lot to show me. The smile, the smirk, and that's not what I meant. What did you mean? He has a heart on that's threatening to tear his jeans open and he's hoping she doesn't notice. But she looks right at his crotch and answers, you know what I mean. She gets up from the bed, uncoiling slowly, the way she did from the chaise, and pulls down his jeans. She cups his balls in her right hand and with her left hand grabs his dick and puts it in her mouth. She strokes him and sucks and rubs his balls as he looks down at her auburn hair and her beautiful face and reaches his hand down on the top of her nightgown. She takes her hand from his balls and slaps his hand away. Then she looks up at him as she runs her tongue up his dick and licks the tip. It's been a long time, Tim says hoarsely. Do you want to come in my mouth, baby?
No. But she goes back to sucking until his balls throb and he doesn't think he could stop himself. She seems to sense it, stands up and strips off the nightgown. He almost pops off looking at her. Her breasts are bigger than he thought, her stomach flat and her long legs shiny. She pushes him down on the bed and says, I want to do it our old way. Old way, Tim thinks. Our old way? She knows me? Or Bobby, anyway. They tell me no one here has even seen this dude since like 1983 or something, and this babe's been sleeping with him? So now I have to walk like him, talk like him, and fuck like him? And figures if he has any brains, he'd throw her out. Or make some sort of excuse like he's got an STD or something. But right at this moment, Tim isn't exactly thinking with his brain. So he lies down. She turns her back on him, squats over him, then looks over her shoulder and smiles as she eases herself onto him. She laughs and points to the mirror and he realizes now that he can see everything. Her hair and her neck and back and beautiful small ass as it rises and falls on him. And in the mirror, her face and breasts and pussy as it slides up and down his dick. She sees him watching, laughs again and spreads herself for him. Then she takes her long fingers and starts to stroke herself as she slides up and down. He grabs her shoulders to set the pace and force her down hard on him and they fuck this way until he says, I can't last much longer. She groans for his pleasure then gasps, tell me when you're about to come. He figures this is so she could pull him out, but when he tells her he's coming, she presses down harder and says, is it good? Is it good? He answers, it's so good. And that seems to set her off and she arches her muscular back and asks again and he answers and she goes, oh, 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 and holds herself on the tip of him and they could both see his dick throb as he comes. Later, they're just lying there talking about old times, about the sweet at the Ritz and the lazy days on the beach and the hot nights at his mobile home in El Moro Beach, just north of Laguna which is where she says she fell in love with him. And then she walked down there a few months ago and it doesn't look like it's changed. And does he still own it? And he bullshits for a while with stuff Escobar made him learn. And then they're talking about their lives and she's telling him how things have been since he split and left her hanging out in Laguna. How she had a semester at UCLA but was too lazy to cut it and it seemed easier to find rich boyfriends. And the rich boyfriends she found were rich because they were dealing dope. So she gets back into that circle. Which is a hard orbit to leave, especially when you're lazy and what you do really well is fuck. And she prefers courtesan to whore. Anyway, that's how she ends up a Rancho Curvier with the drug dealing, people trading, nouveau rich Euro trash. And the monk helps out from time to time, she says. Which gets Tim's attention. If the monk is Bobby's main man, maybe the monk can help him get the hell out of the country before Gruza can nail him. So Tim's kind of pretty interested in hearing about the monk. You been in touch with the monk? He says. Every once in a while, she says. I need a little hand. I call him. Sometimes he needs an errand run. He calls me. What number do you use? Tim asks. The back door number, she says like it's obvious. He laughs. Which back door number? She tells him 555-6665, like real casual, and goes on with filling him in about her life. 
Like she just left a guy and the guy is like stalking her. So she's staying with Brian for a while. Which works out okay because she can help keep an eye on Kit. My life's been pretty fucked up since you dumped me. She says casually. But it's my own fault. I don't see it changing. He does. He's figured he's pulled this off pretty good so far. So why not stretch it out? Take her with him. Get his hands on some of Z's money, announce his retirement, and move up to Eugene. So he says, real gallant-like, why don't you come with me? She laughs. (laughs) You're not going anywhere. I'm not? She's smirking and he thinks she's running some game with him. No, she says. No? He reaches for her pussy and starts to stroke her. Feels her moisten. Loves looking at her green eyes as she gets wet. Because when Don Huertero gets here, she says with that California girl upward inflection. She closes her eyes because she's digging what he's doing with his fingers. Yeah? He's going to kill you, she says. Of course. Which would be a shame, Elizabeth murmurs. I think so too. She grabs his dick and repeats, a shame. Before he knows what's happening, she's moving under him like it's no work at all. Like his dick is on remote control or something. She's doing Ripley things up and down the length of it. And he doesn't care Don Huertero wants him dead. He just wants to fuck. Which he guesses what the prison social worker meant by lack of impulse control and inability to delay gratification. They say I can't delay gratification, he tells her. Did they say you don't finish what you start? They didn't say that. Good. As to the delay gratification, he does okay. That done, he asks, Huertero wants to kill me. Good job, Agent Gruza. Nice going. How come you know everything there is to know about Bobby except that little detail? Call me a dumb moke. Elizabeth says, Brian's just holding you for him until he can get here. I thought they were planning a barbecue, Tim says. They are. A fucking course. How do you know all of this? You know, Brian, she says casually. He can't keep his mouth shut. I hear things. The situation is not like good. They have not trapped in this movie for it and they have something in mind worse than what the angels do. All of a sudden, Pelican Bay is looking pretty good to him. Why, he asks. Why what? Why fucking what? Why does Don Huertero want to kill me, he asks. She shrugs her beautiful shoulders. You're kidding, right? Yeah, I'm just fucking around, he thinks. But he's afraid to push it because probably Bobby is supposed to know what the beef is with Don Huertero. Also, Tim thinks that if he up and tells him he isn't Bobby Z, only bad things can happen. They either don't believe him, in which case they kill him, or they believe him, in which case they kill him. So it's probably better to be Bobby Z and have some stroke, and maybe some bargaining power somewhere, than be three-time loser and career fuck-up Tim Kearney. With no stroke and less than zero bargaining power. He's thinking about all this when she says, So don't you think you better get going? Yeah. He does think that. 
now that he's basically fucked out and worried about staying alive again. And he's pissed off and scared, and it's a situation not all that different from the joint except this time the choice is die or die. So he figures like, fuck you all, because he's getting pissed off. So pissed off he feels the old impulse control slipping. Like that night in the Gulf when the rat tank started shooting the shit out of him and Tim just got pissed off, that's all. And the old impulse control just went right out the old window. He's feeling like that now. It feels great. Chapter 12. Tag Ruse isn't exactly the happiest camper in the greater Southern California coastal region. Gruza sitting in a shitty bar in Downey, knocking down his second bourbon with branch water, trying to drink enough nerve to hit the barrio for Escobar's calling hours. The Mexicans love those open caskets too, Gruza's thinking, and there was so little left in Jorge's face that Gruza had to lay three dimes on the undertaker so that Escobar could at least vaguely resemble a human being as he lay smiling up from the casket. Gruza didn't mind paying for the Madame Tussaud job, he just didn't want to actually see it. Especially after the Undertaker had called him to proudly announce that he had even cosmetically recreated Escobar's acne, for Christ's sake. Gruza hates Mexican funerals, too. Too fucking emotional, with the mother and the sisters and the aunts wailing and the men, half of Escobar's male relatives of Mexican mafia anyway, standing around pledging revenge. And they do a full mass, too. Then the drive out to the cemetery, and Gruz has been to any number of Mexican funerals. It comes with the job in this part of the country. So Gruz is trying to drink away the thought of the wake and the funeral, and he's also very pissed at one Tim Kearney, career criminal and monumental fuck-up who was tennis-shooted, leaving Art Moreno hanging and tag Gruz in the deep shit. Won't be easy to explain this mess to the suits back in Washington who don't understand how complicated the business can get on the left coast. Sooner or later, Gruza broods. They're going to start asking just why it is I keep losing Mexicans. First, Art Moreno kidnapped, and now Jorge Escobar splattered all over the old Arroyo. What can I say? Gruza mused. Life is a dangerous proposition for a Mexican on the border. Tim Kearney is another story. It's one thing to spring a three-time loser from the joint if you get results. Another thing entirely to loose a career criminal in society and have nothing left in your hand but your dick. Tim Kearney running around could fuck up all sorts of things, Gruza thinks. I'm just going to have to locate the scale and make him live up to his part of the bargain, and that's all there is to it. It just wouldn't do to have Tim Kearney running around shooting his mouth off. Tim Kearney's only useful role in life was to get himself dead. Garuza polishes off his drink and knocks on the bar to order another. It arises as an enormous mass of man in leathers plops onto the stool beside him. Hello, fuckwad, Garuza says. How's the meth business? I don't even want to be seen with you, the biker says. Never mind exchange pleasantries. What? You think I'm thrilled? What do you want? Gruza orders the biker a beer and says, The guy that did your brother? Gruza sees he's got Boom Boom's interest. Boom Boom is like 6'7", about 320 and has mouse brown hair down to his ass. The book on Boom Boom is that he doesn't like to fight. Fists, knives, or guns, Boom Boom would rather take a pass. 
what Boom Boom likes is blowing people up. Hence the name. Now Boom Boom's got a gleam in his eye. Kearney? He asks. That's the guy who killed your brother? Tim Kearney murdered Stink Dog. Then that's who I'm talking about, Gruza says. What about him? You've been looking for him. Boom Boom doesn't answer. No point in wasting air on the obvious. Gruza says, You've been searching the system for him, but you ain't found him. It's like he disappeared, right? Figured he was stowed away out of state, Boom Boom answers. We'll find him. Garuza shakes his head. I cut him loose. Garuza enjoys the surprise on Boom Boom's fat, stupid face as the biker asks, Why'd you do that? And Garuza can't resist answering. Because we were so thrilled with him greasing your trailer trash brother. Sees Boom Boom's hand tighten around the neck of a beer bottle and adds, You don't have the balls, Boom Boom. Maybe you leave a package under my car and sneak away in the dark. But you don't have the balls to do me to my face. Boom Boom's hand loosens and he lifts the bottle to his lips. When he finishes the beer, he asks, Why are you telling me this? Like the TV commercial, Gruza says. Why ask why? Because you could be setting me up. Gruza laughs. I want to set you up. I could do it without sitting down with you. By the way, you ever hear of a shower? You smell. Fuck you, Garuza. You can dream, Garuza says. Anyways, what I heard was that at Chino, you were a catcher. Boom Boom looks at Garuza with a look that's pure hatred, which is fine with Garuza because he likes his hatred straight up. Boom Boom's so mad Garuza figures the way he heard about him is true, and Garuza laughs at the image. I could do a car bomb so that it takes off just your legs, Boom Boom tells him, looking down at Gruza's crotch. Gruza nods, then hits him in the face with a chopping right hand. Can hear the cartilage in Boom Boom's nose crack under his fist. Just because we're doing business doesn't give you the right, Gruza explains. Boom Boom sits on the stool, his eyes watering and blood pouring out of his nose. But he doesn't go out, and he doesn't go down. Gruza has to give it to him for that. Boom Boom's a tough, stupid son of a bitch. The bartender suddenly very busy counting the till and developing selective amnesia. Bar sells more meth than booze anyway, so you ain't gonna see no videotape of this cop smacking a scale. This is all between grown-ups. Let's just say someone drops Kearney off in a body bag, Gruza says. I'm just going to figure it was Santa Claus and leave it at that. Boom Boom nods and wipes the blood onto his sleeve. Gruza adds, soon. We want him more than you do. If I were you, I'd start looking down around the border, Gruza says. He slides off the stool and leaves a 20 on the bar. Don't bother to thank me. My work is its own reward. Fuck you. But it has a nasal twang this time. Gruza leaves the bar feeling better than he has all day. Chapter 13 Tim finds his way to Brian's room. Sneaks open the door and sees Brian fixing himself up a speedball. Brian's Italian boy is naked. Stretched out on the floor. 
propped up on one elbow, watching. The room smells of incense and hashish. Tim walks in. Z! Brian squeals. An unexpected pleasure. Tim looks at the Italian boy and says, Is it cool if Brian and I have a private moment? The boy looks hesitant, but Brian says, Run along. When they're alone, Brian asks, Did Elizabeth find you? You smell like fucking. Tim nods at the syringe and says, Can I help you? An honor. Tim fiddles with the syringe as Brian ties off. When he sees a vein pop up nice and thick, Tim squeezes all the fluid out of the syringe and jams the needle into Brian's arm. Brian's eyes bulge in fear. What the fuck? He says, his teeth still clamped on the rubber hose. That's right, Bri, Tim says. A fat syringe of pure air. I push the plunger here and the air bubble goes zinging right up to your heart and bang! Instant massive coronary. Why? Look into my eyes, fuckwad, Tim says with a confidence he doesn't feel. I'm Bobby Z, and I'll know if you're lying. You know that, don't you? Brian nods. His face is red, and Tim's afraid he might have a heart attack anyway. So what's up, Brian? Tim asks. What's up? Brian squeaks. Yeah, what's up with you and Don Huertero? Tim asks. What's the big adult go have in mind for me? And don't give me any more bullshit about the big meth deal, Brian, because I know that was just candy to keep me fat and happy while you set me up, right? Sweat's popping out of every fat pore in Brian's face. Right? Tim asks. He pushed the needle in a little deeper. Brian says, We can make a deal, Z. The deal is, you're going to tell me right now, or your heart's going to explode like an M80 in a trash can, Tim says. A common way for guys to go on the joint, Tim recalls. No muss, no fuss, and the guards considered another junkie con o deed. Death is just another trip, Brian says, trying to bluff. Well, adios, my friend, Tim says. He starts to press the plunger. Brian's arm jumps, his eyes about to pop out of their fat, and he says, Don Huertero wants to kill you himself. Is that why he traded Moreno for me? I guess. Keep talking. He's coming this weekend, Brian gushes. Talked about putting you on a spit and roasting over a fire. Swell, Tim thinks. Why? Why? Brian asks. He giggles. Don Huertero doesn't tell why. He tells what. You don't know what his beef is? Tim asks. Just that you took something from him. What? I don't know, Z. Brian starts crying now. I don't. He just said you took his treasure. His treasure? Tim asks. The fuck is he? Long John Silver? Come on, Bobby. Brian whines. We're friends. But you were just going to hand me over, right? I didn't have a choice. Yeah, Tim thinks. He wants to press the plunger, but doesn't. He asks, You have a gun in here, Brian? No. Don't lie to me. I don't like it. Desk, Brian says. Top drawer. 
Tim pulls out the needle. Brian slumps to the floor and sits there crying while Tim gets a gun from the drawer. It's a 9mm automatic. Tim would have preferred a service 45, but it'll have to do. Tim also finds a money clip with cash, and he puts both in his pocket. Because cash is always in good taste, and you'll never know when you'll need a piece. Tell Don Huertero gracias, but no gracias, Brian, Tim says. I'm checking out now. And Tim knows he's being, like, stupid. He ought to whack Brian or at least take him along as a hostage. But he's just, like, sick of this shit. Sick of these people. And all he really wants to do is walk away from here alone. I mean, fuck, he thinks. A kid, an old girlfriend, some fucking Mexican thinks he's God wants to come cook me over a fire. I mean, fuck this shit. Fuck Bobby Z. So he even knows he's fucking up massively. What's new? But he just takes the gun and walks back to his room and starts to throw a few clothes together. Khaki L.L. Bean shirt, jeans, denim jacket, Doc Martens. He grabs a couple of bottles of Avion from his little fridge and shoves them into his pockets. Then he pulls the gun and walks out into the compound. Nobody's called the dogs out yet. Brian's probably still changing his underwear. So it's cool so far. The night is desert warm, soft and inky black. The stars look so close you could kiss them. Tim wants to. He's wild now, really free for the first time maybe ever. There's a guard at the Bogus gate. Coming through, Tim says. The guard starts to go for his own gun, but Tim is smiling like a loco and the guard figures it ain't worth dying for. He drops his gun and pushes the button and the gate swing open. Tim steps through into the outer compound, and now he can hear a commotion behind him. Fucking alarm going off, and he reminds himself not to trip over any lawn sprinklers, and now they're all coming. He hears Brian run along the parapet, screeching, Stop him! Stop him! But Brian's a moron because he's also yelling, Don't kill him! Don't kill him! So the guards don't know what the hell they're supposed to do. Don't stick and move! Tim yells. This is the fuck up. He laughs like a crazy bastard and looks back up at the parapet. And there Brian is running back and forth screeching and Elizabeth just standing there watching. And that's truly cool. But Tim doesn't know how the fuck he's going to get through the main gate. And now he realizes they don't have to shoot him. They only have to keep him on the compound. Which is when he spots a truck and that gives him a bunch of ideas. He walks over and lets three rounds loose which gets everyone's head down, and it takes maybe five seconds to hotwire the truck. He steers for the gate, and there's Johnson standing there in his boxers looking sleepy and irritable with a Winchester in his hands. Where do you think you're going, son? He drawls. Out there, Tim answers. Ain't nothing out there, Johnson says. That's what I like about it. Johnson just shakes his head and says, well, I can't let you go. You're not going to shoot me. I don't have to. Johnson's raising the rifle to shoot out the tires when Tim points a 9mm at him. Johnson smiles. He ain't the type. So Tim squeezes one right past his ear. Johnson hits the deck and that gives Tim time to put the truck in reverse and give himself some room. Then he fucking stands on the gas and heads towards the gate. 
Johnson's trying to get a shot from the old prone position, but now he's too busy rolling out of the way. And the guards are jumping clear of the gate, and Brian's screaming, and Tim can feel Elizabeth smiling as he ramps through the gate, and he's free and clear. Except he sees the kid. Sees the kid in the rearview mirror, just standing there in the outer compound looking at the back of the truck, looking real sad. And Tim's thinking, fuck it, man. It ain't my kid. But his foot hits the brake anyway. And he's telling himself, you're free and clear, man. Take your shot. You'll never make it with a kid in tow. No way. Fuck it, he says to himself and steps on the gas. And he's still thinking, fuck it, as he puts the truck in reverse and the kid starts trotting towards him. Trotting and then running as he sees the truck coming back. Little legs pumping it out, man, and Tim can see Brian's boy scrambling for their wheels and Johnson standing there, but even he's not going to try and shoot over the kid. Tim stops the truck and opens the door. The kid stops running and just stands there looking at him. Of course, Tim thinks. Of fucking course. You want to come? He asks the kid. Yes. Shit, come on. He reaches down and scoops the kid up and sets him in the pasture seat. He shifts in the first as the kid grabs a shoulder strap and clicks the buckle in. Tim is shoving the truck in the third as the kid says, You don't have your seatbelt on. Shut up, Tim says. But he buckles it, then races into the desert night. Chapter 14 He's in a race he can't win and he knows it. First, he doesn't know where he is. Two, he doesn't know where he's going. Three, he's now driving a slow truck with a bad road. Four, he's saddled with a kid. Five, the other side has a fleet of off-road vehicles. Six, he's just a loser, that's all. He figures there's probably a seven and an eight, but he's too stupid to think of what they are. Okay, first things first, he tells himself. One, You don't know where you are. Big deal. Two, you don't know where you're going. Well, that's not exactly true. You know you're heading off fucking Rancho Curvier. The road's leading roughly north, and it must connect with an east-west road that leads out of the park. Three, you're driving a slow truck on a bad road. Okay, let's skip to four. Four, you're saddled with a kid. Okay, let's skip to five. The other side had the fleet of off-road vehicles. He breaks the truck and turns off the engine. What? The kid starts to say. Quiet. I want to listen. What for? Engine sounds. What for? Shut up, Tim snaps. Then adds, I need your help. Be real quiet and see if you can tell how many different sounds there are. Can you count? I'm six years old. The kid says with some annoyance. But he shuts up and starts to listen. So does Tim. What he hears is pretty interesting. He can hear a shitload of activity way the hell off to his left. Roughly east. Running parallel to him. In fact, getting out ahead. The high-pitched whines of dune buggies. Maybe a couple of dirt bikes. Maybe six or seven vehicles total. Enough, anyway. Headed for the road junction, Tim thinks. Cut him off there. Okay, what's behind me? Two, 
maybe three dirt bikes, close, but not trying to catch up necessarily, just herding me to the junction. Behind the dirt bikes, what? Maybe the fucking Humvee. Well, he asked the kid. Sounds like 87 engines, the kid says seriously. I counted 86, Tim says. But I think you're probably right. Tim starts to truck up again and stamps on the gas. Your belt on tight? He asks the kid. Yes. Hold on. Tim jerks the wheel to the right and the truck slides off the road. He keeps gunning the engine until the wheel's spinning in the sand. They're waiting at the road junction, Tim thinks. Fuck them. Let them wait. Who do they think they're dealing with, a fucking moron? He gets out of the truck, walks to the other side and pulls the kid out. Whispers, we got a little surprise for these guys. The kid's grinning from ear to ear. Say surprise to a kid? It's like saying beer to a sailor. Anyway, the kid's into it. Kid nods and whispers, try to act nonchalant. They climb into the back of the truck. Tim starts getting shit together, like quickly, because they don't have a lot of time before the boys catch up. Someone who knows what he's doing has thought things out, because the essential stuff is there. Tim takes a blanket, two bottles of sterilized water, and a flashlight, and shoves them into the compartment behind the dirt bike seat. Then he finds a fold-up shovel and sticks it under the bungee cord. Finds some wire, duct tape, and other repair crap, and rams it in with the other stuff. You ever ride on one of these babies before? Tim asks. The kid's so blown away that he just shakes his head. Well, you're about to. Cool. Way cool. If we get lucky, Tim thinks, if the bikers behind us fuck up and try and be heroes, don't do what they should do. What they should do when they see the truck is lay back, radio ahead, and let the rest of the boys close in. What I'm hoping they do is try and get up the promotion list by checking it out themselves. You have to be real quiet, Tim whispers as he plops the kid onto the seat. <laughs> okay, the kid says, struggling to say it through his giggles. No, real quiet. Okay. Because Tim's heard the bike sputter to a stop. Figures the boys have seen the truck crash off the road and are deciding what the fuck they're supposed to do now. Come on, boys, Tim thinks. Come be heroes. He hears their boots crunching on the gravel, slowly. Come on, Tim's thinking. Closer. So close now, he can hear them lock and load. Hold on, Tim mutters. He feels the kid's arms tighten around his waist. He guns the throttle and they come flying out the back of the truck. Land and bounce and the kid almost loses it but holds on. Tim steers the bike off the road into the Arroyo and off they go, full fucking throttle. The boys are scrambling back for their own bikes, and it's like Chase City out there on the desert. These boys are good, Tim thinks, because it isn't long before they're on his tail in the Arroyo, catching up to him. They're whooping it out like vaqueros, having just a wonderful time out there, probably figuring that they'll get beside him and have a little rodeo. And in fact, 
One of them pulls alongside, then jumps out of the arroyo, so he's riding along about head high with Tim, while the other guy pushes from behind, and the Humvee's coming up fast on the other side. Tim wrenches the handlebar and skids to a stop, then throttles it and heads back the other way, straight at the boy behind him, who chickens out and crashes his bike onto the side of the arroyo. But a few seconds later, it's the same game, only in the opposite direction, and now the first guy is riding beside Tim on his left side, and the other guy is about caught up from behind. Fuck it, Tim thinks, and he jumps the bike out the right side of the arroyo back up to the desert floor. The guy behind him follows him up, so Tim spins the bike again and zooms straight at the arroyo this time. Hollers, hold on, and jumps the bike over the fucking thing just as the other biker's jumping it the other way. Tim's figured the kid's about had it. Gonna freak. But he could hear the kid giggling like crazy. Giggling. So Tim keeps on gunning the bike and he's jazzing it straight ahead now, dodging rocks and cactus and mesquite bushes, and the boys are zooming in behind him. Tim spots one huge mother of a sand dune off to his left and figures, what the hell, we're going to lose anyway, and heads straight for it. He stops for a second at the base of the thing and asks, are you okay? Like it makes any difference anyway. I'm fine, the kid says. We're going up this thing, Tim says, pointing to the sand dune. Cool. Yeah. Cool, Tim thinks, until we lose momentum and flip over backwards, or tip sideways and roll back down it, or just plain can't make it up and get caught by our playmates. But he guns the throttle and up they go. Climbing steeper and steeper, the back wheel trying to slide out, but Tim just won't fucking let it. The motor's screaming, the boys coming up behind, sounds like they're having problems of their own. And Tim about flips the bike five times when he makes it to the top. Stops and watches the boys coming up behind him. Real cute, too, because they spread out to cut him off on the top of the dune. So Tim figures, fuck you, and just heads right back down again. Not on the wussy side, but straight down the dune, like it's almost skydiving on a motorcycle, and if the boys didn't want to lose him, they have to do the same. The kid's giggling like a crazy little motherfucker, and the bike is falling out of the night sky like falling off the earth on a big pile of sand, and the boys aren't whooping anymore. They're just pissing their pants. Because it is steep. And sure enough, the first bike coming down loses it. Poor Bass just flips that thing end over end and it must be a wicked spill because he doesn't get up. Tim reached the bottom and starts racing for nowhere with the other bike behind him and that fucking Humvee out there somewhere. And Tim realized he just can't beat this other biker. The guy's too good. And has a rifle. A beautiful M16 strapped over his back. Looks like some German in an old movie, but the guy's one good rider and this isn't going to work out. So I got to do something else, Tim thinks, and the sand dunes bits maybe bought me a little space to do it. So he heads for a stretch of thick bush, mesquite and smoke tree and all that shit, and finds a little corridor through it and guns like hell. Here's the other guy pick up on his throttle and knows the guy's scared to lose him in the brush. Tim lays the bike down the brush. Grabs a kid and sets him down under a mesquite and says, Stay here and be quiet. Doesn't wait for any argument, but grabs a shovel, unscrews it, flaps a blade open and waits beside the bush. Times it, steps out, swings that little shovel and smacks it straight into the guy's face. Guy's like, out, even before he tumbles backwards off the bike. 
Tim takes the M16, straps it over his own back, picks up the kid and gets back on the bike. Steers her back into the open desert to make some time. Making time like crazy. Things looking pretty good. And then he looks back and sees that fucking Humvee coming up behind. Knows he isn't going to take it out with any shovel. Maybe, maybe could lay the bike down and shoot the Humvee's tires out. But they might freak and start shooting back. And there's a kid to think about. So he just tries to outrun it. Knows it's a loser's game because the Humvee doesn't have to catch him. Just maintain contact until daylight. Until the reinforcements come. But he can at least make that a race. So he's cruising. Racing through the night. The Humvee racing behind him. Closing in. Real close now. But Tim's making a run for it. And then the world just disappears. Tim screams, SHIT! Because he's just run out of desert. The whole world just ends at the knife edge of this huge fucking canyon. Like a 300 foot straight drop. And Tim about tears the damn handlebars off he turns so hard. And hits the brakes and lays the bike into a wicked skid. He figures they're both dead. The front wheel's dangling off the edge of the world and he's afraid to move and the Humvee just keeps going. Just flies off the edge and there's like silence for a few seconds. Then boom! And the sky's glowing orange. The kid isn't giggling. He's crying. Are you okay? My leg hurts. Tim disentangles himself from the bike, carefully lifts the boy up and sets him down again. He gets a flashlight from the back, rolls the boy's pants leg up and sees blood. It's mostly scrapes. Nothing seems broken, and the boy's just sniffling now. I'm okay, the boy says. You're a brave boy. Kid smiles. Tim takes the stuff from the back of the bike. He shoves the map into his pocket, rolls up the blanket and ties it around his waist, takes out the bottles of Avion, hands one to the kid. I'll bet I could drink this before you can, Tim says. The kid takes the bet and starts to guzzle. Times it so the kid just beats him. Then Tim refills the water bottles. Want to play a game? Tim asks. Sure. What? You know what a Marine is? Some kind of soldier, right? Don't ever say that again, kid, Tim warns. A Marine is not a soldier. Those are army pukes. A Marine is the toughest, roughest, finest fighting machine the world has ever seen. You want to play Marine? Yes. Okay, we're going to play Marine for the next couple days and we're going to be on a secret hike. We can't let the other guys find us. Got it? Got it. You up for it? I'm up for it. There's going to be a lot of walking. Okay. Tim pushed the bike off the edge of the cliff, down to where the orange glow is fading into a blood red. Let's go, he says. He can make out the silhouette of the mountains to the west. He figures if they can make it over those mountains, they'll be home free. So they start walking. After a few minutes, the kid looks exhausted and Tim decides they can make better time if he carries him. He picks him up and sets him on his shoulders. The kid's no heavier than a fully loaded field pack. What's your name? Tim asks because he's forgotten again. Kit, the kid answers. What's yours? Call me Bobby, Tim says. He sets a strong pace. He wants to be as close as he can to those mountains before the sun comes up. 
Reason number nine that I hate the fucking movie. There's a lot of reasons why I hate the fucking movie Bobby Z, by the way. Also, they didn't name it The Death and Life of Bobby Z. It's just Bobby Z. Reason number nine, I hate the fucking movie. So, in the book, it's a, just, as, I, as, I, as I just said, Kit is six. Okay? Six years old. Little boy. Cute. In the Bobby Z movie, Kit is like this hulking 17-year-old boy. Why? I don't know. I really don't. But that's the choice they made. They also made Tag Ruza, a blue-eyed white guy who, uh, in my head, a blue-eyed white guy who dislikes Mexicans, and made him into, wait for it, Lawrence Fishburne. And then, as I said already, Paul Walker played Tim Kearney. Oh, and Elizabeth is played by Olivia Wilde. Yeah. Oh, and while I am not a big fan at all, not a big fan of how they keep um, fat shaming Brian Currier, in the movie, they make him this skinny model guy named Jason Fleming, played by a skinny model guy named Jason Fleming. Issues with all of these. By the way, the movie came out in 2007. Okay. 2007. Uh, the guy who played J.R. Villarreal was born in 1992. Which meant he was 15 when he was playing six-year-old kid in Bobby Z. I don't have any issues with the book Past the Racism. I have a lot of issues with the movie. And you're going to be hearing about a lot of them, I'm sure. I love this action, though. I love it so much. You can visualize it. Like, that's the way Don writes it. You can visualize everything. <sighs> 916-633-1537. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Hit me up. I'll talk back. Um, leave a review on Podchaser. A uh, cool thing about Podchaser is that you can review the show as a whole. You can also do separate episodes, which is dope. Um... You can also review on Apple Podcasts and on uh, Stitcher. Um, and you could become a Patreon member at patreon.com slash single simulcast. Um, you can help me buy books at buymeacoffee.com slash sscast. Thank you so much for listening. I do greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. Don't know by now that you slipped.